This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, uh, growing it, building it, delivering it, and pricing it. Today, I am thrilled to have Jim Dickey, uh, who is with Sales Mastery. Uh, Jim and I have known each other for many years. Um, back when he was had his own research shop, then was part of somebody else's, and now he's got his own research. Uh, and Sales Mastery, Jim's organization, has just come out with the 2021 Buyer Preferences Study. And uh, I, got a, I got a copy of it, and I wanted to get Jim on to talk about it. Jim, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. Uh, Jim, tell us a little bit more about Sales Mastery, what you do, uh, besides just re uh, release fascinating research reports. Sure, Mark. What we've been doing is, you know, in the past, uh, most people know Barry Trailer, my partner and I for CSO Insights. So for 20 years, we were gathering primary data on what's going on in the world of sales. What are the problems that uh, organizations are encountering? Why? What are they doing about it? How are they leveraging people, process, technology, knowledge? Um, that research continues. We were purchased by Miller-Hyman, who was then purchased by Corn Ferry. So Corn Ferry is still continuing to do that research. But Barry and I are also focusing on the future of sales, specifically around artificial intelligence and the implications that's going to have on the ability for salespeople to sell, but also the human dynamics of who's going to be successful selling. So it's, it's a very interesting time when people talk about all the challenges in understanding the buyer and meeting their needs, et cetera. But this is also a time where new innovations are coming to the marketplace, and that's what we want to focus on. Fantastic. Um, so we're going to get to a lot of that AI and machine learning later on in the interview, everybody. But I wanted to really go through this buyer preferences study, um, and it seems to be related to some, some data that's, that's happened in the past. So kind of give us uh, the background of that, Jim. Sure. Back in uh, 2018, for all the research that we did over all those years, I, I, I apologize that we never did a buyer study in terms of going out and saying, well, how's buying happening today? until 2018? And CSO Insights focused on that. So we've got some data based on 2018 where we went out and surveyed people who were in buying positions. These are not people in purchasing and procurement. These are actual executives who are making large purchase decisions for their companies. And so we got that data in 2018. We said, let's repeat the study and repeat the analysis in 2021 for two reasons, you know, three year period of time, wait and see what's happened in that intervening uh, period, but also pre and post COVID. And so it was interesting to go back and get these two data sets and then sit down and say, okay, where are we now today in terms of buying and what are the implications on sales? 
one of the, the big takeaways, one of kind of the, the headliner is uh, an update on sharpening the point on the data point that we've all heard that uh, buyers, B2B buyers have completed 56% of the buying journey before they contact sales. And give us some color on what people are doing uh, and when they're starting to engage with salespeople. You know, we approached it a little bit differently, Mark, in that, you know, I was I was hear that number, you know, 56%, 60% of the of the uh, you know decision making process. I don't remember ever making 62% of a decision. I either made a decision or I didn't make a decision, but I never made 62% of a decision. So we approached it a little bit differently. We said, okay, there are steps in the sell cycle. There are also steps in the buy cycle. You know, you're initially going to go through and define what your problem is. You're going to then go through and start looking for alternative solutions to that. Based on that, you're going to go in and create a short list of things to evaluate. You're going to then build, go in and build a business case. So we went through and mapped out the buy cycle. And we said the simple question we asked the buyers was, when do you engage? When do you prefer to engage salespeople? So again, going back to 2018, in terms of those first two steps where salespeople would love to get in. First, I would love to get in when you're first envisioning your problem. You know, that's the best time for me to come in because I'll really learn about things. But at least what I'd like to do is if you envision your problem by yourself, I'd like to come in when you're starting to consider alternatives. And if you go back to 2018, you have 56% of companies said we're engaging salespeople in one of those two phases, which meant that the rest of people were using them later on in the buying process. This year, that number was down to like 43%. So there's a, there's, there is a drop. You know, people are talking about the fact we're engaging, you know, buyers are engaging sellers less and less. That is a fact that we can now document, but we also say it's getting worse. Over a three-year period, we went the wrong direction. I think that's very important. And I think some of the other, some of what goes into that is the percentage of salespeople who are viewed as a valued resource for the decision. Salespeople rank ninth out of 10 possible information sources. Uh, salespeople, you rank just ahead of the rubber chicken lunch at your local association, but behind every other information source. Let that sink in. Well, the interesting thing on that, Mark, was when we said, we asked people again, when you're looking for solutions to problems, what are the sources you turn to? And, and they could have multiple sources. Number one was, I turn to myself. If I've got experience dealing with this issue before, I'm going to be predisposed to go out and repeat what I did because it worked the last time. Second is, I turn to subject matter experts. Third is now I turn to communities. So I go into things like the Sales Enablement Society if I'm looking for ways to increase the effectiveness of salespeople or I go into LinkedIn groups on there. But as you mentioned, ninth on the list was salesperson, which begs the question, why isn't a salesperson a subject matter expert? I think that's something that you, we really ought to go and, and start answering for ourselves because in a lot of cases, they're not. And, and so they're getting a lot of information, but they're not getting it from us. And, and, and they think there are other places they can get more valid information. Yeah. And here, this, this wasn't in your research. It's, it's Mark Brownie's editorial comment. And that is uh, some other research. I think Gartner uh, found that only 3% of salespeople are viewed as trusted advisors or 15% of salespeople trust or understand my business. Uh, you had some other research that kind of mimics that. But if your salespeople don't understand your business, uh, 
when you ask every salesperson who understands most about the nuances of your business and your product or your service, you or your customer, every salesperson knows that it's them. But customers don't think so because salespeople don't understand the customer's business. And so it doesn't matter how much you know, if you can't apply your knowledge to the customer's world and to the customer's situation, that knowledge is locked in, an, in a place where a customer can't take advantage of it. I think, Mark, that's a very valid point. I think there's also a second point to that, which is that the seller doesn't understand the buyer. And let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, we had a friend, Michael Lodato. Mike was uh, one of the innovators in sales process. He had the only sales process MBA course I ever saw at a university down at Cal, Cal Lutheran. But Mike talked about the fact that people make decisions based on personal payback and then they justify them based on what's good for the organization. So if there's two sales. I need to sell you personally first. If this is, I'm here to help you. I'm here to make you successful. And I think a really important question from the study that we did was after we asked, when are you involving salespeople? Uh, we asked another question. Is there anything that would make you involve a salesperson earlier in your buying process? And going back to 2018, 9% of the people said nothing, which meant 91% of people said there is something. When we repeated that question this year, last year, this year, it came back that 25% of the people said there's nothing. So that's not a good trend, but 75% said there is something. And I think that's the important thing takeaway from me was they said it really fell into three buckets. The first one is this new to me. If this is new to me and I perceive you as being somebody who can help educate me personally, get me up to speed on things, help me avoid you know, potholes, those types of things, I will bring you in earlier. Number two is, is this risky? And risk came in two flavors. Is it risky to me personally? Like if this project doesn't work, you know, it's a career limiting or career ending move, or is it risky to the organization? And if I perceive you as somebody who understands it and can mitigate or eliminate risk, I'll bring you in. And the third one was, is this complex? You know, it's, it's going to go beyond just my ability to pull this project off. It's got, I mean, beyond my functional area. I've got to go get other functional areas within the organization to support this. And so I need to build consensus. And if I perceive you as being somebody who could help sell people in finance or manufacturing or distribution or whatever, to jump in on this and help out with this project, I'll bring you in. None of those have anything to do with the product. So it's, it's more of a thing of really understanding it. the buyer's telling you something. The question is, are we training our salespeople and giving them, empowering them to go out and have those other types of discussions besides, let me tell you all the speeds and feeds of my product, my service. I don't care. I can get those off the internet. Uh, I, I love that. I actually did a video a while back that had a, a two by two matrix or two dimensional matrix. And one was decision complexity. Uh, is the decision at the customer side, is it just a complex decision? Mm -hmm. um, and the second dimension was, am I confident in my ability to make the decision, which kind of cooks in the risk? Is it new to me and so forth? So I, I kind of combined those into a single dimension. And so there are some decisions uh, when an automobile company is buying a new welding cell for the bumper of this year's F-150 bump and a pickup truck. Uh, there's a lot of that. That is a complex decision with a lot of engineers and a lot of people weighing in on decision, but mm -hmm. they've done it over and over and over again. It's not, it, they're highly confident in the decision. It's just 
socially complex within the organization. Yes. And so we solve that with a sales methodology, making sure that we've, we're hurting the, all the cats. But if it's new to me, that requires a much different expertise. And that is understanding the customer's world, their experience, being able to apply your solution into the customer's problem, both professionally, business-wise, and personally. Um, I, and I think thinking of those dimensions, being an expert for your customer, in both cases, it's about the customer's decision. Is it complex? And is it threatening? Mm -hmm. I think those are um, important things to, to think about, but both of them are about the customer's journey, as you said. Yeah, I think the, you know, is this threatening? Is It's also, is this rewarding? You know, the, the one thing we don't have today a lot as buyers, is we don't have time. Do you have extra time, spare time to do stuff? So we focus on doing things that have, you know, a big reward for me. You know, I'm interested in a lot of things. I will focus on things where the pain about the way things are today is unacceptable, yeah. not undesirable, not uncomfortable, fundamentally unacceptable. And I think that's where we got to start, you know, really understanding too from the buyer's perspective. Today, we're still seeing, you know, 25% of deals end up as no decisions. That's corrupted selling time. And so you got to the very, very end of the process and nothing happened. You know, so I think those are things we need to also be dealing with up front is, is, is there a realistic opportunity to do something now? And if not, let's just wait until things change because it becomes unacceptable six months from now, then let's work with a customer. Yeah. Um one of the things that you you mentioned, but you mentioned it really fast, and that is that uh, the respondents who said, "I won't," there's nothing that would make me increase my uh, my cons consultation of a salesperson. It went from nine percent to twenty five percent. Yeah. Um, another thing is that we have increased virtual selling. Um, and I don't know if there's a relationship between those. You know, I certainly wouldn't draw cause and effect either direction, one direction or the other, but is it because salespeople are not particularly effective? And so with this virtual environment, no, there's nothing that's going to make me talk to the, talk to these salespeople, or is there any interaction there? Do you, or, or is, am, is there nothing you can tell? The, there is, uh, Mark, and, and we did a separate study, um, yeah. The, these two, the buyer study and also the one I'm going to talk about, these are an alliance that we have with Corn Ferry now so that they gather the data from their universe. And we do all the analysis of the data, but we also co we did a project earlier in the year where we focused on virtual selling. And again, looking at pre-COVID and post-COVID. So what was selling like, you know, in the pre-COVID environment, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, we don't meet face-to-face -face anymore. We're doing more sessions like this on, you know, video conferencing, what happened? And I think putting those two things together, I'm happy to send anybody who's interested in that study, just email me at jim at salesmastery.com. But it gets into specifically what you're talking about. And there are certain attributes that says, here are certain things that you can do to be more effective in a virtual selling mode. Because as part of the virtual selling study, sales organizations said, we don't think we're going to go back to the way it was before anytime soon. And buyers said they don't think they're going to go back to buying the way it was anytime soon. So we're going to have to deal in this virtual environment or probably more likely a hybrid. And I think there are some best practices that we ought to be investigating and saying, let's make sure our people are proficient at selling in the world we live in today, not the world of 2019. Yeah. Um, I and 
without going too deeply into that research, uh, you did ask a couple questions about the reasons people buy or the reasons people decide not to buy. And the number one, far and away, both on why I bought from, why I did buy and why I didn't buy is they understood my business, my situation yep. and my needs. Yes. And the number one reason they didn't is because they didn't understand my business, my situation and need. And those results are head and shoulders above the other eight or nine, nine in the or ten, other 10 in the in the stack. It's, it's funny, Mark, when I when I talk to people, and I sit there and say, you know, here's what we here's what we asked. What do you think they said? I'm shocked at how many people said that they think the price should be at the top of the list. And it's not. People don't care about price. They care about you know, if there's an ROI associated with doing this and I can see it, I'll go through and fight for it. You know, so price doesn't mean anything. It's, you know, the, the ROI will drive it. ROI is a function of, do you understand my business? Can you relate back your features to my problems, my problems to what the cost of doing nothing is and what the benefit is of getting rid of the cost of doing nothing? And I think that's, a, you know, you're bringing up a great point here in terms of it gets back to having a different type of discussion besides let's talk about my features against somebody else's features. Yeah. You know, in my view of how you sell value, which is first understand the customer's world, mm -hmm. uh, translate your stuff, like translate from features and benefits into customer outcomes because customers only buy outcomes, but you can't know the customer's outcome until you know the customer. And yes. Right. And you can't know thy customer's business until you know business. So out of that stack, um, my view of selling value, number one was understand my business situation and need. That's selling value. Mm -hmm. uh, demonstrated ROI or value. That, that's my that's understanding how the what kind of outcomes they're going to achieve. Uh, actively listen to me. There's that's a little bit less of a connection uh, provided expertise and perspective that is applying my knowledge to your world. And so down that stack, all of these, you know, the, the top three and five are heavily weighted towards that same kind of selling behavior. They're they're kind of uh, different symptoms of the same problem. I agree on that. And I think, you know, people uh, take a look and I, I was recently on a um, video conference talking about, you know, the whole issue of, of sales content management and, you know, how we ought to take all the information that salespeople need and put it in this big repository and make it easy for people to find. So they were talking about, you know, the big debate between sales and marketing and marketing saying, well, we're producing all this stuff and you never use it. And sales goes, well, it's not the stuff I want. And plus, it's hard to find. And it says, well, if you would try to find it, you could because it's in this repository. And I go, you know, you're having an interesting conversation because you're talking about the people who create content and the people that use content. What about the people that consume content? That's the buyer. <laughs> you know, is that going to the buyer? Is this worth anything to yeah. you? And, and again, going back on those things, I think if you ask the buyer, what would be more helpful? Having 27 more pages that show you, you know, information about the product or having 27 pages talking about how you solve problems. Yeah. From the buyer's perspective, you know, I got a problem. If you want to solve it with stick pins and voodoo dolls, I'm all for it as long as it solves the problem. Exactly. I, um, I work a lot with my clients on stop talking about features and benefits talk about customer outcomes. Your content should be about customer outcomes. And now your content management system uh, where you actually track who's clicking on what, when somebody clicks on a piece of content about an outcome, 
that means they care about that outcome. Mm-hmm. You should be scoring that content, you're scoring that lead and actually getting that lead to the salesperson saying, look at the articles they clicked on. It's about this outcome and this outcome. Maybe you should be calling them and asking for appointment to talk about those outcomes. And so you can close a lot of loops if you start talking about the outcomes. I think that's very important there too, Mark. And I think it's also that it's bringing up a whole new thing for us to consider. What are we doing to arm salespeople to have those discussions? What, what, you know, what, where's, where does this information come about outcomes? And, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, AI at the very beginning of this thing. I think that's really where we really see it as being the game changer for changing the dynamic between discussions between buyers and sellers. Uh, Jim, you, you chose the segue right when I wanted to do it. So thank <laughs> you. Right. Um, in the, I have this mediocrity cycle that I talk about with people where salespeople aren't respected. So customers self-inform, uh, they under-inform. Salespeople only ask customers for their pain points, which, and of course, the customers can only articulate the ones that were the results of their self-informing. So the solutions are not com- particularly compelling, which is why no decision wins so much. And every the top three sales teams, the top three proposals, the top three finalists were the three who are best at asking the customer for those self-articulated pain points. So nothing's differentiated. So you either no decision wins or price wins. And so that it's a trap. Um, And so many sales tools get us around that mediocrity cycle more efficiently But there are some types of sales tools and some types of AI, exactly as you were talking about, that get us out of that mediocrity cycle, help us understand the customer, help us have those great conversations. And I think that's what we're starting to see some really interesting, you know, actual case studies. You know, there's a gentleman named William Gibson, who's a author and a futurist. And he talked about the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And what we're finding is the future of sales is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, but let me give you an example. So a lot of people talk about AI, there's a part of AI called IoT, Internet of Things. So there's more and more sensors being placed in more and more parts of our lives that are gathering more and more data that can be analyzed in more and more ways using AI. And an example of that is we work with a company that's in the agricultural loan business. So they're quasi-governmental agency that can provide professional a preferential loan treatment to farmers. And a lot of ways that they do things is they go out and build relationships with the farmers. So they just call up the farmer. They're in a small college down in the Midwest. They say, hey, I got some tickets to the football game. You want to go? And they go and they talk about stuff, including the farm. That's one level of selling. Um, what they're doing now, we found a company out of California that's aggregating IoT data on agriculture, specifically around farms. So they're gathering data from satellites that are going over your field that can tell you what the moisture content is. They're gathering data from drones that are flying over farms. So they're telling you what the temperature of the, of the soil is. They're gathering data from John Deere tractors that get information as they go up and down the rows of the field, telling you whether there's pest infestation in the field and what type it is. And they're aggregating all this data. And so now, as opposed to me calling you up and say, hey, Mark, tell me about what you're going to do this year on your farm. I say, Mark, let me tell you what we would could both do together this year on your farm. Because last year, we set you up on a line of credit where we gave you the money in April. You said you'd pay it back in October. Well, this year, 
what we're seeing is that there's going to be a late planting season because there's the fields are too wet. So you're probably going to be planting in late, late April. That means that you're going to end up having your harvest not come in in October. It's going to be the beginning of November. Based also on things we're saying that the yield is going to probably be about 96% of what it was last year versus 100%. And you were talking about buying a new Columbine to help you with the farm operations. And you were talking last year about putting on a two-year lease. But based on what we see going forward, a three-year lease would put less pressure on your on your profit margins for the next couple of years. So why don't we do that? We'll extend your line of credit through December. We'll put it, the combine in a three-year lease and we just want an extra 16th of a point. That's a different conversation. Data is now empowering me to come in and tell you things that you might not be able to afford as an individual farmer, but I can get all this information, bring it to you. And now I'm adding value. It's getting back again to your value statement. I'm helping you anticipate problems and maximize your profits going forward. And now I'm really a partner with you. We're, we're collaborating. In fact, what we're doing is we're co-creating. So past sales skills like persuasion, not so useful anymore. Collaboration, co-creation, very useful. Yeah, I, I predict that th that's always been uh, the approach that great salespeople have, have had. They understand the customer's business. They just haven't had all the great AI tools to do it. They, they did yep. it longhand. But that has been the domain of the high performers forever. Now it's probably going to be the domain of the survivors. It's, become, it's going to become less optional. It's not going to be what you do to get in President's Club. It's going to be what you do to keep your job. Um, that's the bad news. The good news is there's tools that are going to help you be able to, to do that, uh, help the average performers who didn't know how to do that, re that longhand research. It's going to be available to a lot more salespeople. Well, I think it's also going to change, you know, not only how we sell, you're, you're getting pointing down the road, it's going to be defining who is successful selling. Yeah. You know, we all know people who are really good at, you know, just Pushing the ball forward, pushing the ball forward, pushing the ball forward. And, you know, that type of person is going to be now up against somebody who's going to be doing the, the value sell. And it's going to be happening in every industry. You know, we, we did a case study on you know, a company over in Italy that's a utility. And they get gather data on their customers once a month when somebody would go into an office building in Milan and read the meter. Now they're with smart meters, they're getting data every 15 minutes, 47 million um smart meters you know coming back and they're giving snapshots of you know here's the energy consumption i can see here's an office building in milan using x amount of power and a 30-story building across the street is using 20 percent less i can tell you why and so now yeah you know, again it's, it's again arming these salespeople, but you're going to have to arm salespeople who can have meaningful business discussions about outcomes and win-win yeah that's different i yeah i think that business acumen is going to become more and more important uh, for salespeople. Um, I, you know, we've we've both heard of uh, selling with perspective or insight selling or value selling. Um, I maintain that you can't have perspective as a salesperson on something you don't understand. I agree on that, and I think it's going to change that aspect. It's also going to change the aspect to other things. It's going to change who's who's. How do you manage that person? And how do you compensate that person? Because it's not just going to be the compensation. Okay, you made your number. Here's a big check. Well, we all know people who were 200% of quota because they got lucky. We know guys who were doing absolutely everything the right way and they were 50% of plan one year. 
So I think you know AI is going to be able to get us back, you know, by monitoring that you brought up the thing by monitoring what buyers are doing in addition to sellers. And I think we could change compensation plans to say we will compensate you based on doing the right things through the process. Get the customer to fly out here to headquarters to actually see what we do. You get credit for that. Yeah. You're going in and penetrating an account we've never been in for a while, and it's going to take you three years to close something. We're going to we're going to credit you for that. So I think it's going to go back and say, we got to go back and change that and also just change what coaching looks like and yeah. how we support our people and develop them going forward. Yeah, I'm. Um, that reminds me of a conversation you and I'd had uh, maybe a couple of years ago uh, about comp plans containing any component of the comp plan that pertain to deal profitability. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm the pricing hawk. Every dollar you discount was a profit dollar that you just donated to your customer's bottom line from your bottom line to theirs. Uh, and you had an, at the time, uh, you had a surprisingly low percentage of B2B sales forces that paid their salespeople to care about profitability. Um, do you have any insight on that or any updates or is that? Um, we're, we're seeing a slight you know, shift in things based on the fact that the compensation management systems are now getting more, more robust. You know, so companies like Exactly and the stuff that Chris Cabrera has been doing for you know, a decade on saying, let's go back and really kind of analyze these things and not only track the deal when it closes, but track the profitability of the deal as people start ordering stuff. So, you know, I'm a semiconductor manufacturer. I cut you out a deal. You agree to N number of widgets at X number of price. What was the profitability of that deal over the three-year horizon? Yeah. And, and um, to be able to come back and, and actually have some data that you could do things on that. But absolutely. You know, the one thing you could sit there and say, if I, you know, I could raise your, if I could raise your revenues by 10% or if I could raise your, raise your profitability by 10%. Go back and just pull out a piece of paper and a pencil and figure out what's the impact on the stock price of a company if they get a 10% increase in revenues and the same margins or the same revenues and a 10% increase in margins. Stock price goes through the roof. And I think that's something that we got to go back through and start holding sales accountable, not for top line, but also bottom line. You know, what's, yeah. the, what's the ultimate goal of a company? Increasing shareholder value down yeah. the road. A absolutely. Now, having achieved uh, a value-oriented premium price is the result of your having done a whole train of the right things throughout the sales process. So it's measuring at the finish line. The, the a profitable price is a, almost a trailing indicator. Uh, you were talking about also compensating those behaviors uh, throughout the sales process. And I, I think yeah. a combination of those is really important. I do but, um, it floors me the percentage of companies who, as I said, pay their people not to care about deal profitability. Well, we uh, we were having this discussion absolutely yesterday with a with a client. We we're talking about the fact, and they said, "What's what do you think the biggest challenge going forward is?" And I said, I, "You know, we're, we're talking about sales 2.0. Gerhard Twiner is talking about sales 3.0, sales N.0. If I've got a sales N.0 sales organization and sales 1.0 sales management and sales operations thinking, I have a recipe for failure. Yeah. So yeah, we got to go back and 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 challenge all of our sacred cows." on how we've been managing the sales organization because we're just not in that world anymore. It's not 1990. Yeah. Uh, Jim, great conversation. Um, I could go on and on. 
anything that we forgot to get out that you really want to make sure people know about you, sales mastery, or something about, about the report? Uh, I think the major thing is just this thing of right now, we're, we're sitting here at the beginning of November. So everybody's scoring really, really hard to close out this year. But we're also working really, really hard on 2022. And in January 2nd, in the United States, at least, and a lot of countries around the world, salesperson's going to get an email. And it says, congratulations on last year. By the way, here's your new number. And by the way, the number is higher. Because it almost always is. And so I think the key thing is, wouldn't it be great if we gave them a second email that said, and here's everything we're going to do to help you hit that number? And that's really where our research is going to be aimed next year is focused on going back out and doing more case studies on onboarding is a problem, but here's somebody who solved it. Forecast accuracy is a problem. Here's somebody who solved it. You know, selling margins are going down, but here's somebody who solved it. And I think those are the things that, you know, we're really encouraging people to, to share with us, but also that we're going to be bringing to the marketplace is there's a, the answer to every sales challenge that we face today has been solved by somebody. We just got to collect it, synthesize it, and share it. And I think that's really been the one of the great things about sales over all these years. When we've asked people to tell us, what have you done that worked or not worked, people do that. And that's why I think we're going to have to do a lot more of next year is find those things and share those things. Cool. Well, Jim, thank you very much. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, you can go to salesmastery.com. We've got a number of uh, things that we've been putting out into the public domain now on videos uh, that you could use for running your sales meetings on different aspects like onboarding new reps, et cetera. Uh, but also all of our research now is, is available on the website. People can just download that. We want to consume it. We want to put that out into the world and let people, you know, hear what everybody else is doing. So, you know, salesmastery.com, or if you want to email me directly, it's just jim at salesmastery.com. Great. Well, Jim, thanks for your time today and for your wisdom, for your background. Uh, Always a pleasure to talk to you, Mark. You bet. Thank you. And thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that sales is a lot more like brain surgery than you might've thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customer's outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.